0: Uh, where you should go, how you should go about a decision that you face. Uh, we've been looking at what, what questions kind of in the moment help you clarify uh, what you should do. Uh, specifically, decisions can sneak up on us or they can attack us. And we find ourselves sometimes in positions where we never thought we were going to have to make a certain decision that we're faced with. It surprises us. And it's in those moments that if you're like me, clarity really helps. And so these questions are really our way of looking at how do we clarify? How do we find clarity in the midst of the unknown as we don't know what to do? So I wanted to review uh, where we've been uh, the last few weeks just to catch everyone up. Uh, The first week, the key question we looked at is how does this fit uh, into my purpose for living? Uh, Whatever you're facing, uh, as you're deciding what to do, your purpose is very important because your purpose is really the destination that you want to be to in your life. If you're not sure what your destination is, That affects the choices you make that get you to that destination. So purpose is crucial. We looked at how we find our purpose uh, in God himself. Uh, The second week we looked at, uh, am I being completely honest with myself? And we dug into the scriptures and really pulled out the fact that our heart is deceitful. And if you read a Hallmark card and you go into a supermarket looking for a Valentine's Day card, you realize that the heart is this feeling ooey-gooey, but in the scriptures you find that your heart actually a lot of times doesn't tell you the truth. It actually kind of tells you maybe things that you shouldn't do, and so honesty is very important because self-deceiving is something that comes naturally to us. And so asking that question, am I being completely honest, is is crucial. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at what story do I want to tell? Uh, Each of us, by the choices we make in our life, are writing a story that's being told. And if we're not careful, by the choices we make, if we just kind of do it haphazardly or we don't really think or we don't look to God to guide us, we end up living the story of our life that, that we never wanted to live. And if you're like me, I don't want to do that. I don't want to experience the disappointment that comes from that. I want to make sure that the story is being told is the one that I wanted to tell. And this week, we're, we're going to be kind of turning the corner. Uh, next week, we're going to wrap up uh, looking at kind of how, how do we have like a moral guide as we make decisions? This week, we're looking at what to do with tension as you make decisions. And so the key question today is, is there a tension I need to pay attention to? Is there a tension that I need to pay attention to? And the tension I'm talking about is usually something that occurs when you're about to make a decision and something doesn't feel right. If you're like me and you learn about your heart, you're thinking, well, how do I know if that feeling is from God? How do I know if that feeling is just something that's within myself? But there comes a time when you follow God immediately as you decide to follow him as as the boss of your life. He gives you the Holy Spirit and that's God himself guiding you. And what tends to happen is we make decisions, especially things that are unexpected and kind of sneak up on us. A lot of times the Holy Spirit in the moment wants to guide us. And it can come with tension, this pause that should happen where we're like, I don't know if I should go this way. I don't know if I should make this decision. I don't know if I should treat this person this way because it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't feel right. There's this inner turmoil that exists. If you're still investigating what it means to follow Christ, you still have these tension points because God made us to be moral beings. There's something in all of us where we know right and wrong. Now, if you look at the world today and you you listen to the news, you read the newspaper, you think, how is that true, right? Because there's so much pain and suffering. But the fact of the matter is, is all of us have morality written into our hearts. That's how God created us. But we all have different responses to the morality. We'll have a choice of whether we're going to do right or do wrong. And it's not always that easy, but that really is just how God made us with morality. And so the Christ follower has this Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit guides us. And this is what God does in the moment. And so I want to talk a little bit about what are we supposed to do when that tension comes? Because if you're like me, if you've ever done something and you kind of knew you shouldn't do it, isn't that when you're, you tell yourself, why did I blow past that uneasiness? Why did I ignore that inner tur- turmoil? Have you ever felt that? And oftentimes for me, it's after I've blown it. I look back and I'm like, oh, I knew I shouldn't have done that, but I did it anyways. If you're like me, that's probably true of you as well. We kind of experience that inner turmoil and a lot of times we recognize it after we've ignored it. That's sometimes how how life works. Our emotions, they they get to us and we're not exactly sure what to do in the moment. Well, what I wanna talk about today is as you face the tension, especially if you're not sure where it's coming from, what to do with it. It's really important in the moment to recognize that, to not blow past it and see what that is. Paying attention to the tension is very important. I want to actually walk through a story in the Bible that illustrates this. And I need to set it up a little bit so as we begin talking about it, it will make sense. But it's about uh, the king of Israel, Saul, and the future king, David. Now, David, the character, is the same David that killed Goliath. And what began to happen is David was a shepherd boy, killed Goliath, gained so much influence and notoriety for what he had done. People began to follow him. And the king of Saul gave him a responsibility for the kingdom. And what started to happen was David began to get more influence, more leadership. And the king, Saul, began to get jealous envious. And there was this wedge that happened between them to the point where Saul decided, you know what? David cannot exist if I'm going to be the king and be the powerful king that I'm supposed to be. And to make matters worse, there was a chant that was going around where people were saying like, yeah, Saul, he's killed the thousands. Like he's killed thousands of men. But David, he's killed ten thousands, And you could see probably kids on the street corners like yeah, but David's killed 10,000 and everyone's talking about all these men that David has killed and the leadership, the influence, and it gets back to the king. And it gets to the point where, okay, this, this cannot happen. So this, this shepherd boy who's now gaining so much influence and has so much power is now ostracized from the kingdom. In a sense, there's like a bounty on his head. King Saul wants to take him out. So what's happening is, is David is hiding. He goes into hiding, realizes, okay, there's no way for me to just fight him in this moment. I need to ride this out and see what's gonna happen. You know, and maybe God will restore me. Maybe God will make this so he's not gonna kill me anymore. And if you're like me, you're thinking, well, have you ever been faced with that? I haven't, but there's this pressure where he's just fighting for his life, running for his life. And there was a group of men because they've fought alongside David that began to follow him. And so, you know, Robin Hood and like his merry men, Right, this is like David and his merry men. Okay, so he had this. They don't like steal from the poor or anything, but you get my point. He had this group of men that he was rolling with. They they wanted to be loyal to David, and they realized, okay, the whole of Israel, the kingdom is trying to come after us. What are we going to do? And they stuck together and they begin to try to figure out what are we supposed to do in this moment. So this is highly tensioned point in history, and I want to pick up in First Samuel twenty four. So after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul is with his army fighting a battle, and he he, he's told, "We found David." And so he drops everything. He says, "So Saul took three thousand chosen men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats." They have names like that anymore. Isn't that great? The crags of the wild goats, that's where he was. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. This is like the middle school passage of the Bible. Like if you're in junior high, you're like, this is awesome. The king goes in to relieve himself and they wrote it in the Bible. That's amazing. People say the Bible's boring. No, look at that. There's some drama going on here. So he goes in to relieve himself. Now check this out. This is where the story is interesting. David and his men were far back in the cave. So they're hiding from the king that wants to kill them. And there's 3,000 men. But the only time that Saul will be alone is when he goes to the bathroom. He happens to go to the bathroom, not just where David's men were hiding, but David himself was hiding. Is this like a movie? right? You couldn't write this better. You couldn't make this stuff up. And so David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, David's men said to him, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. You have this, it turns from fear. Let's hide, let's, let's get away from this 3,000 army. Let's hide in the cave, they're in the back and he comes and he goes to the bathroom and could you see all the guys just looking at each other like, Can you? Th- is this happening? Is this, just whisper, it. that's Saul. What, this is crazy. You know, and they're talking in code like, like army, like. Okay, this is a crazy scenario that's happening. This is the man that's tried to kill him and he's right there for him. To take out and so there's this there's this point of tension here what should david do seems like the stars are aligning it seems like all the circumstances are lining up for this is the point in which david can take out the very man that's trying to kill him but he didn't let's see what happens this is verse four then david crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of saul's robe that may not make sense to us like he cut off some of his clothes huh well in that time if you mess with any article of clothing of the king it was like spitting in his face it was a sign of huge disrespect so david's like i'm not gonna kill him i'm just gonna cut his gucci robe okay didn't have gucci i just threw that in there but afterward afterward david was conscious stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe So his men are like, kill him. He's like, no, I won't kill him. I'll just cut off some of his clothes. He cuts off his clothes and he's like, what what did I do? He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, Saul. The Lord's anointed or lift my hand against him for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Okay, so here's the picture. The opportunity to kill him is there. All the men are saying, God has arranged this, take him out. And you know, when guys get together, there is a lot of instigating and egging on, you know, kill him, kill him, kill him. And David, you know, he's like, he's got a knife. And David knows how to kill, right? Cause he killed a big giant and he's walking. Kill him. And the men are like, he's gonna do it. This is gonna be awesome. We've got the king that's trying to kill us. And, you know, he goes down to cut the robe, and I wonder if they're thinking, like, is he taking him out from, like, the ankles up? Like, how? What? That's a weird approach. Is this some, like, kung fu we don't know? And he cuts off his robe, and you could just imagine the guy's like, you went from Goliath to robe cutting? What are you, a tailor? You could just hear the men just kind of, you know, at him. And in the moment, he says, wait a second, man. He is the king even though he picked the very cave where we were hiding and he's all alone, the only option, the only way this could ever happen, even though that's happened, he's the king. Not only is he the king, he's the Lord's anointed. God put him there. I will not raise my hand against him. So if you take a step back and you look at this tension that David faced, this is a matter of life and death. This is a matter of taking somebody out before they take you out. Huge decision he was faced, this hugely tense moment where everyone in his corner is telling him to do something. But in the moment, he gave us some important lessons. I, don't walk, I want to walk through some of the lessons we can learn from how David responded. The first is, don't let circumstances fool you. Whether you're a follower of Christ or you're not, there's a part in all of us when things kind of begin to align, we think, well, surely we're supposed to do this. It's kind of like you you think, well, we need to move. We got to get a better house. And all of a sudden, like a moving truck drives by. See? What you don't know is that truck goes by every day at that same time, right? But we're good at kind of coming up with certain things that we think should happen, circumstances form, the stars align, and we think, well, surely it is supposed to be. But David did something in this moment. Although it seemed like everything fell into his lap, he didn't let his circumstances fool him. He realized that circumstances change. And it begs the question, if David would have killed him, what would that have done? To David's history, to the story that he wrote, How would people have perceived him? He's the man that took out the king that God put there. So in the moment, he knew that he couldn't let the circumstances, no matter how sweet they looked, determined what he did. The second thing, he paid attention to the tension. He had every means necessary to kill. He had a knife. He had training. He had the opportunity but he realized that there was something bigger going on. Even though everything aligned, even though everything really seemed like it fell into his lap, he realized that there was something that just didn't feel right. And you see the tension because he didn't kill him. He cut off his robe, and even that he knew was wrong. So he was allowing this tension. He was allowing this pause in the moment, even though everyone was telling him to do something. There was a great amount of pressure for these men that he's leading take him out. God has done this. You know, they just pull God and say, this is what God wants you to do. But he realized that there's, there's more going on. And it's based on the third principle, focus on what is right. That's what David did. Although the circumstances lined up and it seemed like he was in the sweetest spot possible, for the situation he was in, he didn't focus on the circumstances, he focused on what was right. And that's crucial. You see this in verse 6, through eleven, he said to his men, "The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord." So he mentions it twice. He's the Lord's anointed, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And you can imagine when he's saying this, he had you know cut off his robe, and he's looking at his men. He's like, "Look what you guys made me do! You pressured me, and I cut his robe off, and that wasn't right." He's the Lord's anointed. He is the anointed of the Lord. Don't make me do that again. You can see in the cave, whoa, okay, well, you know. He's trying to kill us. Now was your chance. But right, doing what's right provided tremendous amount of clarity in the situation. Going against the king that the Lord had put in place would not please God. He couldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He decided to focus on what's right. The story goes on. I'm going to continue where we left off. He said, then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul. My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Could you imagine? Saul goes to the bathroom. The whole army's like, come on, Saul. Like, we've been marching. Let's like keep momentum. Like, Saul's like, I'll be back. He goes into the cave. The guys are like, come on. You know, you ever been to like, you're with a family, someone's got to go to the restroom, you. like, come on, road trip, let's do this. And you can see the men being impatient and they're all talking like, is he done yet? No, he's still in there. And he comes out and was like, finally, let's get going. And all of a sudden who comes out of the cave, is David. Could you imagine the men thinking like, wait a second, did what? And just looking at each other. This is a crazy scene and, and David... Bows down, not just in front of Saul, not just in front of these men that he's leading, but in front of 3,000 men. Now, ladies, you may think, wow, that's crazy. But if you're a guy, think about that. There is like, it's like a dude rally of soldiers. And you had the opportunity to take out the king, to be this savage warrior. And instead, you come out in front of all of them, and you're like, I'm not worthy, and you bow down. That's a crazy scene. But he knew in front of the king that was David's role. He needed to submit to him. This is crazy. The very man that's trying to kill him, he bowed down. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day, you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you. And at that point, he looks at his men like, you, you. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. That's the third time. Now the men are hearing, okay, we we were wrong. We shouldn't have urged you. We, we, We get that. But he focused on what was right. One guy said, how smart is it to replace what God has put in place? I think that's a great truth. How can we replace something that God has put in place? That's what David was dealing with. That's what is right. We cannot play God in those situations. David goes on, verse 11. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I'm not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you were hunting me down to take my life. He's kind of now using the robe as like a peace offering. Like, I know in any circumstance, me cutting your robe would have been a really bad thing to do. But the fact that I didn't cut off your head and I cut off your robe, it's really a good thing. Right? And you could think, David, like, please just not kill me right now. But again, I, I, I didn't take you out. Why are you believing all these things that people are saying? And in a way, he's he's pleading his case. Then it turns the corner to another principle that we learn from this great story. And that's to let God control the outcome. See, by David focusing on on what was right, he decided that he could only control his behavior. And that means he would have no say in the outcome of the situation. Who knows what would have happened if he would have killed him, but that hunting him down would have been over. It wouldn't have happened anymore. Verses 12 through 15 says this, may the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the King of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog, a flea, May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. David is saying, although the stars aligned, although the circumstances were in the sweet spot where it seemed like everything fell into his lap to do what he wanted to do to take control of the situation, he tells Saul in front of all the men, I will not play God in your life. I will not play God in my life. It's not my job to determine the outcome. It's not my job to figure out how to work the ends to my favor. God controls the ends. It's my job in the midst of this, in the means to do what's right before him. It begs the question again, how different What David's life looked if at that moment he would have ignored the tension, ignored what was right, and decided that he was going to take control of the outcome that he wanted? It still wouldn't have gone well. He could have killed the king, but he would have came out, and how many men were there? 3,000. So just imagine, what would have happened if he blew past the tension point and didn't focus on what was right. This is crucial. This is what it means when we talk about walking with God. You've ever heard that? You may not know what it means, but it's this idea. like As you're walking through life, as you deal with circumstances that you face, as you deal with different situations, as you relate to people, there's always these opportunities in the moment to think through, how do I do what God wants me to do? What does it mean that I say? What does it mean how I respond, the attitude that I have? And then the Holy Spirit, in the moment, he guides us. And so I want to kind of turn the corner a little bit and work, walk through what this looks like. How do we actually deal with this tension in a way that provides clarity? Because it's more than just a feeling. It's more than just this awkwardness, like something's going on. It doesn't feel right. Because even that is vague. vague. And ambiguous. So I want to actually look in the New Testament from a letter Paul wrote. Paul is a New Testament church starter, and he had caused so many people to learn about Jesus Christ. And they had heard about Jesus, this man who had lived, who had lived this life. He died on the cross, and there were stories about him rising again. And what he did was he was saying, you know, I, I follow him. I used to be an enemy of him. Now I follow him. And he allowed so many people to learn about Jesus, and he led many people to follow Christ themselves. And what he did in the New Testament was he wrote letters basically kind of explaining what it means to follow Christ. They were in a culture where there was Jews, there were non-Jews, there was so much confusion about what to do, how to do it, and so his, his letters that he wrote to the churches, new churches where a bunch of people were trying to figure out all how this looks, provide a lot of clarity. He actually speaks to this issue of what to do when you're not sure what to do and what to do when, when tension exists. And it's found in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, 15 through 17. There's three main principles. I want to give you the cliff notes before I, I dive in. The first thing that he tells us is we have to let the peace rule. We have to let the word dwell and whatever we do, we need to do it all In Christ's name. So in the midst of the tension, in the midst of maybe confusion, in the midst of just not exactly sure what you should do and if something doesn't feel right, the aim is peace. Let the peace rule. Let the word dwell, the word of God, and do it all in Christ's name. So let's look at that. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. That's the first step in dealing with the tension. This is Colossians 3.15. It says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Peace is something that I think all of us are very attracted to. That's how we're made. If you had to take a choice this morning to wake up and do you want a crazy, stressful day or a peaceful day? Most of us would say, you know what, I'm going to go with peace today right? There's part of us which peace is something that we all long for. It's very important to us. Now, peace comes as you do life God's way. I truly believe that. As I have lived life, I have realized that usually when I'm going my own way, doing what I want to do, blowing past God's view of things, that's usually the point in which I experience the most turmoil in my life. I've experienced real peace since I've decided to follow Christ as the boss of my life. That's one of the byproducts of following God. You get the peace that we all long for. Without peace, it kind of feels like you're you're pulling out of a parking space with your parking brake on. If you're like me, usually you're like three miles down the freeway and you're thinking, how did I even move, right? And your mechanic's saying, you shouldn't have. Because That's not how it's supposed to work. That's what it is without peace. It's like our parking brake's on and There's a grind there. So peace, peace is very important. And the peace of Christ is supposed to rule in our hearts. Now, we sometimes don't have peace even when we need to do right. You know, you've messed up and you have to go tell somebody like, I did this and this was wrong. A lot of times you don't have peace. You have like, oh, I don't want to do this. I just want to go to bed and wake up tomorrow. You don't have peace. What's ha- what happens is, is we let God guide us through the Holy Spirit. It allows us to clarify what's right in the moment. And God does that. He shows us, okay, that this is right. Even though you, you don't feel like doing it, this is right. You need to go have that conversation. You need to go make that right. That's how the peace of Christ, it rules. The second thing is to let The word of Christ dwell in you. This is verse 16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In the midst of life, when you're just running through the ringer, it feels like, and nothing's going your way, and you have these decisions to make, and you're not sure what to do, who you want to do life with, and you're just feeling like alone. The Word of God provides this light in the midst of the darkness, provides clarity in the midst of confusion. That's what the truth of the Scriptures do. They're like seeds that are planted within you. And as you cultivate them, they they bear fruit, which guides you in the moment. See, if you look back in David, David knew certain truths about how God works. He knew that he could not go against the Lord's anointed. It would not be right. So in the moment, the the words of God and how he's made life to work, authority is something that's important. Authority is something that's put there by God. David knew this and he decided, I'm going to fall in line. I'm going to do this because it's right. And so you see that the seeds that were planted bared fruit. If you don't let the word of God dwell in you, what is your default? When the tension comes, we have many good defaults that we can fall into, but are they right? Are they true? If you're like me, it could be your upbringing. It could be the culture in which you live. It could be what the media says. It could be the latest book that you read. It could be a variety of things, but do those resources control the outcome No, only God does that. So his word trumps all others. Because the God who gave us the truth of the scriptures controls the outcome of how life works. So in the moment, we have to bank on the word of God. Recently, I experienced this this time, and you may have experienced this too, where you feel like life just isn't going your way. And you're like not too anymore, so you don't want to say, life's not fair But like inside, you're like, life's not fair, you know? And we we went through just a time in our, like a few months ago where it was like, our kids were getting sick. We had unexpected expenses. uh, Circumstances weren't going the way that we thought they would. And I just got to this point where I was just kind of down and, man, this life is so hard. And, you know, just trying to get up every day and do what I'm supposed to do. And I was challenged by a man who follows God, walks with God, and he, and he says, you know, you, you need to trust God in this moment. You need to look to him. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What am I doing? I'm just kind of relying on my own reflexes and responses. And I decided, you know, I, I, need, I need to look to God. And I decided I need to pray. And I'm just in this battle in my thoughts and in my emotions, and I kind of felt down and decided to pray. And as I started to pray... I began to read the scriptures. As I began to read the scriptures, it was like this refreshment came over me and I came across this verse in Psalm fifty-five, twenty-two. It says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. So as I prayed and I turned to God, the peace began to come. And as I read the scripture, I got this just this encouragement and this challenge, cast your burden to the Lord. And what happens? He will sustain you. The peace came. And the word of God began to dwell. And I began to realize, like, these burdens I'm holding onto myself. I'm worrying about the outcomes. I'm worrying about the ends. These are burdens that I cannot carry. And if you carry these over a long period of time, you get broken down. Life does not flow the way God has it has it the way he wants it to. This became real, and this is what happens. As you begin to look to God, the peace comes. The word of God provides us refreshment and a perspective that allows you to know what to do. And the last thing that can greatly help in the moment of tension is to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the father through him. When you decide to relate to somebody, it's basically saying there's never a point in which you can take out the God factor. God sees everything I do. He hears every thought in my heart, in my mind. I can never take out the God factor. He's there. He's always there. And so as I face these circumstances and these points in which I'm not sure and I have an uneasiness, the trump card is always, can you do what you're about to do in God's name? Can you do it in his name? So I want to just walk you through. I was having this time and it was just kind of this, man, why do these things keep happening? And, you know, what am I supposed to do in this moment? And I began to turn to God and it worked itself out. Well... A week later, I end up getting in a car accident. And it's one of those moments like you got in an accident and you're like, wow, I just got in an accident. I just got in an accident. Did that just happen? And then, you know, you see the car in front of you hit and you're like, yeah, that, that happened. Because this car is dented and I'm pretty sure I did that. And so what I realized is the peace and the, the scriptures which told me to cast my burdens in that moment helped me. If I hadn't have looked and prayed and read the scriptures, if that accident would have happened and stacked up on all the other things, I don't know what I would have done. It would have been really depressing. Now, I didn't get out of the car and do cartwheels like, yeah,
1: accident,
0: you know, right? But I did realize in the moment as I approached my attitude and as I approached the driver that I hit, this do it all in Christ's name became very important. How will I treat him in this moment? So first off is, are you okay? But it's really like, you're okay, right? Like, I hope you're okay because I didn't want to hurt you. You're okay? But in that moment, I'm, I'm representing Christ. I have to do it all in Christ's name. Even in the gnarly scenes of life where, oh, why did this happen? Even in that, the peace can rule. The word can dwell. And we can still do it all in Christ's name. So I just encourage you, what are the tension points in your life right now? What are the things that are going on where you just you need to take a moment to pause, see where the inner turmoil is coming? Maybe write that on your outline. Maybe take some time, see, is there anything going on here that I, that I need to pay attention to? And I want to encourage you to take some next steps as I close and as the band comes up. Uh, these next steps are really designed so you can figure out what it means that you need to do this next week. Blessing comes in doing the word of God, not just knowing it. And so we wanna help you do that at Church in the Valley. So if you take out your connection card, you can mark these next steps on there. The first thing is to memorize Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Uh, The second is identify attention related to decision and work through it based on Colossians 3.15. That's what I just mentioned. And then for the first time, I accept Jesus as my Savior and will follow him as Lord. If you've never done that and you realize that you really do need help to know what's right and to do it in Christ's name and you realize you don't really have a relationship with God, you can mark that and we will explain what that means. And then if you want to attend the preview or 101, uh, you can sign up for those as well. Uh, Let's pray together before we sing back to God. God, thank you that you guide us today just like you guided David thousands of years ago. And you are the same God that in the midst of circumstances that are out of our control, you decide the ends, and you really do work things out in a way that if we handled it, we could not. And so you, God, ultimately have authority. And I pray for anyone who's facing a a tension point in which there's confusion or dread or regret that they'll see that that you really do want to walk with them through it, that you're a God that guides. So I, I ask that whoever that person is this morning, that you'll really draw them to you. In the name of Lord Jesus Christ, amen.
1: are weak, all who are weary, come to the rock, come to the fountain, all who have See
0: stand together as we wrap up this.
1: me to believe you make everything glorious yeah you make everything glorious yeah you make everything glorious and I am yours what does that make me Oh, but they have seen the beauty of enormous things Which leads me to believe There's life enough to see, oh, that You make everything glorious You make everything glorious glorious in, in you to